Welcome to Other You, a podcast where we discuss the decision. Welcome in our back lives to another episode of Other You. I'm your host, Steve. We Today unpack some of the factors behind it and then explore in short story form the with the other version of ourselves. Author experience around that time fictional memoir and two novels. A contestant on Jeopardy, and he is the best of the six of his name that are out there. Please welcome to the show, Jim Flynn. Well, uh, one of the other Jim Flynn's on Amazon wrote a history of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So if you're interested in that, you, you might want to read him. All right. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you guys enjoy novels and information about sports teams, just look up Jim Flynn. You'll find something good to read. I'm into it. I really loved that you added six to your name. Not the six, just Jim Flynn six. I, lo- I love that. My wife likes it too. I, 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 she, she thinks I should change it to the number six. Okay. But, but you, you, once you have started a brand, you have to kind of stay with that brand. Yeah. So I'm staying with it. Okay. Yeah. Smart. I can dig it. I, I, I was a little bit surprised that there weren't two X's like Nikki Six, huh. but the the one X works. <laughs> it works. Yeah. I'm. I'm not. I'm. I'm old. I'm not hip enough to have two X's. Fair enough. Fair. Fair enough. Oh, right on. So you. You have three books, one that just released, The Bitcoin Gambit. Um, yes. Your first was the fictional memoir. Um, and then tell me about going from the fictional memoir to writing novels, please. Well, uh, the fictional memoir is really funny. And I, in preparation for the show, I went back and read it. I hadn't looked at it for like a year. It's, it's really a good book. And for, for the right person... It, it really is a laugh out loud, funny book. But when I wrote it, I picked up some fans and some of them were people I didn't know. Some of them were serious writers. Uh, one of them was a woman who writes romance, like cozy romances. And, and I was really surprised because there's swearing in my book and it's mm. kind of locker room talk. And mm. it's not, it's not something you'd think cozy romance writers would, would read, but she, and along with a couple other writers encouraged me to write a novel. They said, this book is funny. That's why we like it. You have some talent as a writer, but learn to write a novel. If you want to sell to a broader audience, you have to write a novel. Mm-hmm. And so I, if I couldn't have really given you a very good definition of what a novel is. And I suppose a lot of people can't do that, but uh, I learned what a novel is. I learned the hero's journey. I learned all the, all the uh, steps you're supposed to hit along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and so I wrote my first novel. It, it's, um, it's also funny. All my books are funny, mm-hmm. but it's not as funny as the first one. And, and it has a plot and it, it has a lot of plot twists. Both of them have a lot of plot twists, a lot of things you don't see coming. Mm-hmm. And people seem to really like that part of it. And it's really fun to make those things up. Yeah. You're, it's, I picture it as a movie. Okay. And I'm the producer, director, actor. Mm-hmm. I'm everything in the movie. I'm the cameraman. Yeah. And, and I, I visualize a scene in my head and then I write it down. That's the next chapter. Gotcha. Yeah, I have short chapters sometimes. Okay. Sometimes it's one page, but that's a scene from my movie, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to put in words what that scene looks like. Gotcha. Yeah, so I, I also love to write from a very visual perspective, and everything I write comes from the mindset of how would I dress this 
like on set, you know, uh-huh. and then I take in my mind, I take the camera, however it's going to go. And then I just kind of describe what I'm seeing as like the camera moving around. So I, I totally appreciate that. And I think short chapters are great because it makes the book or whatever you're reading feel um, like it's flying. Yes. You know? I, I want it to fly. I, I, I don't want people to be able to put it down. Yeah. Uh, and, and I learned, I, I learned from an awful lot of people, mm-hmm. but one of the things I learned is you might want to stop the chapter a sentence or two early because then it's sort of a cliffhanger and you're going to want to read the next chapter. Right. I got to keep moving. I got to find out what happens next. Yeah. Right on. Excellent. Excellent. I, I, I dig that. I, I tend to, and I think it has to a hundred percent be psychological because like a 400 page book, is still 400 pages. But if the chapters are like 30 pages each, I tend to find myself like, Oh, all right, I'm slogging through this. Even if it's moving, I just feel like I'm slogging through. But if I'm like zipping and I feel and I see like end of chapter, I'm like, oh, okay, I can just burn through this next two pages. Oh, another short chapter. I'll just burn through that. And then, you know, I'm 280 pages later thinking like, oh, I should go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I hope you read one of my books. But the um, I think that as technology is changing, people's attention span is changing. Oh, yeah. And they're not going to sit still for um, the, the picture of Dorian Gray has one sentence that that's three or four pages long. Yeah. And, and they're small. It's small print. Yeah. People aren't going to sit still for that stuff. So, yeah. so I think we're on the forefront of a techno. I think books are changing for and, sure. And I, I want people to pay it. I want people to finish the book. Yeah. Because in, in, Kindle, Kindle Unlimited. Mm-hmm. You don't get. You only get paid for every page people read. <laughs> Amazon knows everything. So huh. if they just if they just get the book and don't read it, if they, if they put it down after five pages, you make two and a half cents. Oh, oh wow! So they, you get paid roughly a half a cent a page. I want wow. people to finish the book. Yeah, for sure. Let's let's jump into that moment in your life where you made a choice. What was the decision that you made? that you've seen the impact of it's fairly recent it, okay it was i'm 70 years old now and it's when i was 65 years old oh okay um i was um, a successful person in the financial business and i had just landed a monstrous account a huge account it's something i couldn't have dreamed of when i started in the business hmm. and um shortly shortly after that I, I had brain surgery. <laughs> okay. Uh, completely unexpected, completely without symptoms. I, um, the I had a brain tumor that caused me to fall off a golf cart. Caused me to have a seizure, fall off a golf cart, broke my arm, broke my vertebrae, cracked oh. my skull. And after telling me all that, showing me the X-rays, and, and by the way, you also have a brain tumor. Jeez. Oh, so I got to have brain surgery, which is uh kind of twilight zoney thing to do yeah. <laughs> um, um but i it, but the good news is i came out fine okay great. as as well as you can come out from what i had and i'm alive and i'm i can fake being normal okay uh i the surgeon warned me 
that the, the part of my brain that they're messing around with has to do with math and, and um, logic okay. and speech. So the first thing I did when I woke up is I started to talk. <laughs> I wanted to see if it worked and it worked great. It was like they were telling me to shut up. Yeah. So at least the, at least the speech part worked, but what interestingly didn't work is I used to be able to do math in my head. I can't do any math in my head now. Oh. And, and the other thing it affected is my ability to read. I know this sounds funny for somebody who's writing, mm-hmm. but the part of your brain that you write with is different than the part of your brain you read with. Uh. I, I learned more about my brain than I wanted to, but the long and short is I can't really read anymore. I can't take symbolic things in with my eyes and translate them fast enough. So it isn't as though I can't read a page or two of a book, mm-hmm. but it's hard work for me. And okay. I just zone out after a while. I just start looking at the ceiling. So, Interesting. so anyway, I, I went back to work and I had a pretty complex job. Sure. And, and after oh, a month or two, I realized I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm just faking it. And I was on a team of people mm-hmm. and I was a senior guy on the team. But I was used to being the decision maker and calling the shots investment wise, and I couldn't do it anymore. And so I went to the other um, members of the team and to the manager of my office and said, look, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm leaving. And they offered me, oh, no, you can stay around. You can be like figurehead hmm. and sort of, and I pictured it. You ever been to a casino in Atlantic City? Mm-hmm. They they have some washed up boxer greeting people at the door. Oh yeah. I I pictured I was going to be the wax the the washed up boxer greeting people at the door. Mm-hmm. And so I and, and I would still make the same money. And I just said I don't want to be the washed up. I'm going to go do something else. Mm-hmm. And and I'm you know I'm retired comfortably. I'm fine, but it isn't as much money as. As I'd make working yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, writing has not been as lucrative as I would have made if I just hung around yeah. and, but I just said, it's time for me to do something else. I don't want to be, uh, just a washed up figurehead. I want to go do something else. So I decided to retire and write a book. So that was my big decision gotcha. and I'm really happy I did it. Okay, good. All right, so that that would be the um, the memoir. Yes. Okay. So you the the decision uh, to narrow it all down. The decision was to walk away from your job in the financial sector and retire and write a book. Yes. Okay. Now this is directly related to the the medical incident of developing the brain tumor and then being impacted by it, and having the seizure, falling off the cart like injuring your body and all that. So yeah. as a direct result of that, the impact presented you with an opportunity to make a choice. You either yes. be like a human, the the human mascot of your, yeah, yeah. Yeah. of your job. That's, that's excellent. I didn't think of that. That's a, that's a very good description. Okay. Or to, to go your own way. Okay. And you yeah. chose to go your own way. Yeah. And, and, and I did walk away from significant cash and prizes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's unpack a little bit of who you were at that time, in that moment. So 
you um, now this is as a decision maker and team lead. Um, what was your position in the company? Were you amongst the vice presidents of the company? Had you founded it? What was your position? No, in no, the it's a big, it's a big one of the biggest banks in the world. I was, I was a vice president, but th- those were about as common as air molecules. Right, I mean, yeah. everybody was a vice president, but yeah. uh, no, no, it's a big, multi-billion-dollar company, and I and I worked in a, in a branch office in Hartford, but, um, but I was used to. It was. Every morning it was like getting in the boxing ring. What are we going to do today? What what mm. fight are we going to fight? And and that was um, stressful but fun. Okay. Stressful but fun. And you had been doing it. You said for when we had talked uh, off the air. You said yep. that you hadn't done it for like thirty five years. Yes. Okay, so you were a long term vet. Um, were were you in the same? type of work for that whole time or had you transitioned in and out of different types of positions within the financial sector? Well, roughly the same type, but I got more and more as you accumulate more and more assets of people to manage, Mm -hmm. it becomes a very different job. Okay. So, so, and, and also the investment world really changed in the time that I started. It, it, It used to, when I started, it was like the movie wall street, you cold called dentist and try to get him to buy a hundred shares of General Motors or something. Oh wow! And um, by the time I left, you had much, you know, millions of more dollars under management, mm. and you didn't get paid for transaction. You got paid for your advice. So people, people wanted your advice, and they listened to you, and it, and they knew when you did something, it wasn't because you're trying to generate some commissions. It was to try to help, help them make, make money or meet their goals. Right. So that, so although the job title kind of stayed the same, uh, the, the actual, actually what I did responsibilities really changed. Gotcha. Okay. When did you have the most fun at that job? Well, uh, the most fun I had was in the recent years. Okay. It wasn't as though I hated it. I couldn't wait to retire. I planned to re- work until I was at least 75. You know, there wasn't a, you didn't have to lift up any heavy boxes or anything. It was right. as long as you could mentally function, mm-hmm. you were fine. And, and, and with, with more money under management, you got more prestige and, and, it treated better and that, and that was fun. And it was a lot of fun. And, and I just lucked into this huge account. It was, huh. it was one of those things that it, it, you couldn't have dreamed 35 years ago. You couldn't have dreamed of having that happen. And it was just because I knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who yeah. liked me. Yeah. <laughs> one of those. And, and a bunch of people made presentations to this huge account and they liked me. Wow. So, so I had to walk away from that. Mm-hmm. And that was my biggest triumph by far. <laughs> well, I mean, at least you got to go out on a high note, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Okay. This type of job is interesting because as you mentioned, because you're not lifting heavy boxes, you're not being worn down over the years. You know, maybe there are some people that get into extracurriculars that 
end up impacting their systems with, you know, substances that might wear them down. Sure. But otherwise, it's something as long as your mind is sharp, you can just keep going, keep going, keep going. Well, I think the substance abuse sort of peaked in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> but I was a I was a young father. I just went home after work, so gotcha. I didn't get involved with that. But um, well, no, it, it does take a toll on your on you stress wise. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that could have been one of the causes of my problem, but mm. I didn't realize how much stress I had until I stopped. Really? Yeah. I, I, I just thought, Oh, this is, this is normal. This is what you do. And then when I stopped, it was, it was as though a big weight was lifted off me. So even without writing one sentence of the book, it was like, Hey, this, this is pretty good. And <laughs> I'm going to get to do something I've always wanted to do in my life, which is to write a book. Gotcha. Okay. So how, tell me about your, your sleeping. How well did you sleep while you were in the midst of that job? Did you sleep well or? Oh yeah. You, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's not like you got your first full night's comfortable rest after you left the job. How, t tell me how you uh, were able to notice the stress relief in life. How did it, how did that manifest? Well, the best way I would put it is for people who work, I'd say, do you like Saturdays? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like Saturday. Every day became Saturday. Gotcha. Okay. You know, the, um, when you're in the investment business, even if you're not doing a lot of trading, when the market is open, you don't realize how much stress that creates at any moment. Something could blow up. And yeah. on Saturday and Sunday, it can't blow up, or, or generally not, unless something really spectac spectacular happens. Huh. So, so uh, my biggest position was Apple, which turned out to be pretty good. Hmm. But Apple can always mess up. Apple could kill people, or who knows sure. what. But, but, um, or they could just have bad earnings, or they could lose a contract with China, or all, all kinds of things, or the, or the market can just turn bad. Mm -hmm. And and so you do, um, when people trust you with their money, it's different than just selling them a stock. Sure. All of a sudden, they trust you, and it's generally the biggest decision they make in their life. And, and when you have that kind of responsibility, and all of a sudden, you don't have it anymore. Still love the people, still talk to a lot of them, mm -hmm. but I, I'm not responsible for their well-being anymore. That's that that's a big responsibility. Now, I slept like a baby. I also was a triathlete. I, I worked off the stress, and okay. that probably helped. I swim, I swim thousands and thousands of laps. Yeah. And if I had been swimming when I had, and I, I did open water races, Oh. Where you jump in a lake and yeah. swim five miles. Yeah. I was pretty good at that. And if I had been doing that when I had my seizure, I would be dead. I definitely would have drowned. Sure. Sure. My my wife does open water swims. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. She was a swimmer in high school um, and then pursued other things in college and after. But over the last several years, she's gotten back into competitive swimming but she does open water so um that's it's it's a trip to see like a bunch of people because like i've gone out with her a few times yeah. just to jump in the lake and swim and you know here in chicago swimming in lake michigan it's 
it's a mixed bag because it could be like glass and you're just like, okay, this is fine. This is like a swimming pool. Or it could be like choppy and you're like bouncing, you know, as you're trying to get through the waves and like, oh, how far did I go? 30 feet. Yeah. Well, I actually, I, I'm sort of a big strapping guy. I like the rough water because I thought it gave me advantage over the skinny guys. Mm. Um, but in Connecticut, you sometimes swim in a lake, but mm-hmm. you also, the, the big championships in Connecticut are in Long Island Sound, mm. saltwater. And when they, when they, when a shark has been sighted within a couple days of of the race it it makes you swim faster <laughs> fair enough yeah. fair enough i <laughs> i can dig that That's i was in a couple one. of those and 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 the one i did the best in there had been some shark sightings and oh, we man. they had the race anyhow Jeez. and i don't know if that was a uh, extra motivation but maybe yeah just get out of the water just get out of the water. yeah <laughs> right on okay so um Tell me about family life at the time. So about 65. Yeah. Um, I imagine you don't have young children at home. No, they're gone. They're all, they're, they're all gone. Um, I had three kids. They, they had been gone for, for, for years. Okay. So it's just you and the wife. Yeah. Okay. I live on a farm in rural Connecticut. Hmm. Um, a couple horses. Um, so my, routine life is to get up and take care of the horses the first thing in the morning and okay I, I, it's kind of a different life than most people have yeah okay do you have any other animals besides the horses uh just a couple of dogs and cats okay but no 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 other farm animals gotcha okay um and then sorry what about the job did you did you have any hobbies at the time? So you had mentioned that you had the seizure while golfing. You mentioned that yep. you have been a swimmer. Um, uh, were those your main hobbies, golfing and swimming, or did you have other things that you did? For I'm, I'm also a pretty good guitar player. Okay. And I was a good enough guitar player to teach uh, adult ed. I, I taught adult ed for 10 years maybe, oh, and that okay. was fun. It was, it's fun to get paid for something that's a hobby. Yeah, for sure. But guitar playing and writing are kind of have parallels in that you can be really good in your local area. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who are better than you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you take a a beginning guitar player and when I was at my best, they they thought I was really good guitar player. And I guess I was compared to them, Mm -hmm. but um, I wasn't Eric Clapton Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think you can say the same thing about writing. There's a there's a real steep pyramid of writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the the way that I can connect with that is as an actor. Um, so you see a few actors on TV. Like there's a very small percentage of actors that exist that you see on TV, right? The, sure. And you might see a whole bunch on TV but that's still like a very small percentage of the actors that exist. And no matter what, um, no matter how good you are, it's you, you learn as you're going along that there are always hundreds that are way better than you, you know? So it's, it, it, that has helped me 
to maintain a measure of humility, no matter how well I do, no matter what measure of accolade I get for any performance, I always know that, yo, I'm, tomorrow I could be the most amateur in the room just with my talent, not even my resume. Just, yep. and it's, it's that easy. You know, the next room you step into, there could be just amazing performers that for one reason or another, just haven't had their quote unquote break. So, um, yeah, I can. Yeah. I, I well, I also I think the that. parallel is there that you can be really good and not get a break. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I don't, I'm not going to name any names, but some famous guy who's on TV mm-hmm. uh, on political shows mm-hmm. just came out with a book and somebody sent me the book as a gift. And uh, you know what? And, and believe me, I don't think I'm John Grisham, mm-hmm. but compared to this book, which is a bestseller, this book's the book this guy wrote stinks. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, forget about whether you like the plot or that genre or whatever. Yeah, the writing's terrible. Yeah, and this guy obviously had access. It's a big publisher. Obviously, they had access to editors and copywriters and mm-hmm. all that stuff and it and the writing's awful yeah and so so you say i forgetting myself i know some other writers that i've read they're really great yeah they just haven't had a break yeah. so so on the other hand i don't need to have a break I, i'm okay financially i'd love to be very successful mm-hmm. but i'm going to keep doing it whether i am or not good 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 i appreciate that I appreciate that. Um, what what kind of music were you into? I'm a classic ago? rock guy. Classic rock. Okay. Yeah, I was just playing uh, playing a little ZZ Top this morning. On my, I I I did a little acoustic ZZ Top. Oh, you really? See a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. They did yeah. ZZ Top. They did um they performed with a symphony, didn't they? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like I have a memory of watching them perform. I want to say. All right, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, well, um, you brought up a memory. Oh, okay. So my wife isn't isn't she? You know, she likes the music that I like, but she doesn't always know who it is. Okay. And she's not into it as much as I am, and obviously, I learn the songs and that sort of thing. But, yeah. um, so my son bought me tickets to see ZZ Top. This is five years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. down at one of the casinos in Connecticut, and. So my wife, she's heard some of the songs, but she doesn't really know ZZ Top or the guys with the beards mm-hmm. and the and the and the girls on MTV and the hot right. rods. And she doesn't know that. So I warned her. I said, you know, on ZZ Top, the crowd can be a little rough. You know, it might be some, you know, chains and, you know, guys with motorcycle chains as bracelets and you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. So as we walked in, everybody was old. <laughs> and the, and I didn't see anybody with change, but I, there were quite a few people with walkers. Oh my gosh! I <laughs> so, love that. <laughs> that just that just made me laugh at myself because I was expecting kind of a rough, you know, yeah. biker crowd. Yeah. And what made these guys might have been bikers, but they had walkers now. Wow, that's great. Yeah. I love that. Ha, noted. Um, what was what was your typical day to day routine? Like, did you have like your morning rituals or were you just a get up, get ready, have a muffin off to work sort of guy? 
Well, uh, the last maybe 10 years that I worked, mm-hmm. I mostly worked out of my house, which is oh. 22 miles from Hartford, but takes, I, I'm in the middle of nowhere and you have to go over a mountain and side roads. So it took a while to get there. So I worked out of my house and my typical routine was I, I'd go to the Y I'd feed the horses. Then I'd go to the YMCA and go swimming. Okay. The local Y, which is five minutes from here. And I'd swim a mile, sometimes a straight mile, sometimes break, you know, I bet your wife does that breaks it into sets sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, so just, or, or I actually had a swimming coach. He'd say, here's your workout for this week. Mm, so okay. pretty much four or five times a week, I would be in the pool and that's a great way to get going. Yeah. And you get the old endorphins going and then. I'm, I'm such an early riser that I'd be home in plenty of time to do my reading before the market opened. And, mm-hmm. it, and so that made it interesting because when I made my transition to being a writer, I sit at the same desk ah. and I have a room that when I moved into my house 20 years ago, this was a room above the garage and it was just a junk room, unfinished and mm. Had a couple bird nests up here. I, I finished it off myself. I paneled it. I put um, tongue and groove pine. It's a pretty nice room. Um, but that's that's my workspace. So when I went here, as soon as I hit this room, I was work. I was at work. Okay. I didn't fool around. I didn't watch TV. I didn't watch the movies. I, I worked all day. Gotcha. And and so. When I made the transition, this is my writing room. When I'm here, I'm a writer. Yeah. Although I have to admit that there are days I'm lazy and I go on Facebook and sure. when I really hate myself for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, but what I've done as a writer is I give myself unrealistic goals and I, I I'm going to finish this book by the end of the month, that sort of thing. Gotcha. And you know what? I do it. Okay. And and in those days, I don't do Facebook and I don't look at my emails 14 times a day Right. because I, I, I sort of I, it's funny. I kind of sort of pretend that I'm my boss mm-hmm. and I have to report to myself. Yeah. What'd you do today? Yeah. And that's when I really get things done. OK. OK. So one of the categories that uh, from which I, I pull questions, I like to ask. What are your outer space hopes and dreams? Like this is where the fairies live, the unicorn dreams for life. Um, and I, th- I think that falls in line with giving yourself unrealistic goals um, before you retired. And like, let's say even the five years up that. So between 60 and 65, what were some of the unrealistic goals that you set for yourself? It, that's funny. Cause I stopped, I had stopped doing that. I kind of achieved beyond what I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my goal was to really work till I was 75. Okay. So that was, that was just the goal. I just, I'm going to yeah. stay working. Well, but in terms of making money or I, the business I was in title didn't matter. I didn't care if they gave me another title mm-hmm. I didn't care about that stuff. So, so I didn't have, I wasn't pushing myself anymore. Ah, Okay. Was that intentional or did you ever lament that you had reached that point where you stopped pushing yourself? There were, well, it was not intentional. It just happened. And, it, you know, it's a fairly, if you're achieving a certain level in that business, 
nobody ever says anything to you. Sure. It's not like you have to report to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to see my boss once a year. Mm. How are you doing? Good. Yeah. How much business is going to do next year? Uh, ten. Put me down for 10% more. That's what I would always say. Huh. Okay. The, the meeting was 30 seconds. <laughs> wow. So it wasn't, you know, corporate world, push, push, push. It wasn't that. Um, do you have any quirks at all? Yeah. Well, you know, I read that question and I said, well, what quirks do I have? I'm, um, for, for a non-scientist, mm-hmm. I'm very interested in things like astrophysics okay. and astronomy and cosmology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hard to find before the internet, mm-hmm. it was hard to find people to talk to about that because people who are my friends don't even know that that's one of my interests mm. because they're not interested in that. Sure. Um, I mean, well, I've done traveling around the country and I have a daughter who lives out in Utah and a son in Texas. So we go out West a lot. One of the coolest places I was ever at was the very large array. Mm-hmm. You can Google that. It's, it's the, all those big radio telescopes. Yeah. If you ever saw the movie uh, Contact, yeah. with Jodie Foster, uh-huh. that was filmed at the very large array. There's 22 of these huge radio telescopes that they move around on railroad tracks. And so they can, they can make the very large array even bigger. Mm. So they, they can spread it out. The, the farther they spread the telescopes out, mm-hmm. the farther they can see into the universe. Right. And the closer they put them together, they see closer, but at much more fine detail. Right. I loved, I loved the very large array. I'd go to the very large array every year. And there's not a whole lot to see other than the telescopes. It's just, right. it's in New Mexico. It's in a county that's in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And then they put it in the middle of nowhere within that county huh. because they, they don't want a lot of interference sure. from radio stations. It's it's really the middle of nowhere. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a very cool place. <laughs> it's you know, it's it's probably not going to be the number one tourist. It's, there, there aren't any rides. You mm-hmm. know? Um, there's no bar. It, it's just it's just uh, it's just a really cool place. I think. That's one of the things that when I wrote my first book, mm-hmm. one of the things this fictional character does is he becomes an astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. And I think that surprised even my friends because they didn't know I was interested in that. Right. Right. So the the parts of you that your friends don't know, is it because you never you'd never tried to connect with them on that? Or were you more secretive about it because maybe you didn't want to get ridiculed for having an interest in like science uh, to this degree. What were, what were some of the motivations for not like engaging? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very thick skinned. You can ridicule me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm not afraid of ridicule. It's just that I thought, and and I correctly thought that they were not interested. Most people, if you talk, start talking about the solar system with most Mm -hmm. people, they, uh, they, they kind of, you know, they remember that they have to go get coffee or something. <laughs> you know, they, yeah, they're, okay. they're not very interested. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's really good to know, though. Super thick skin. Have you always been th- that way? Thick skin? Yeah. 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 And w- that's one of the things I mentioned in, in the first book about 
um, the character is a football player mm. and he talks about the worst people in the world who are assistant college assistant football coaches are basically the worst people in the world. I don't know if you have any experience <laughs> with that, but you know, they, they'll call you a maggot. Sure. You're a lowly maggot, you know, that yeah. kind of, they're kind of like drill instructors. Yeah. They're softer wannabe drill instructors. No, I'd say they're worse than drill instructors because I, I, I like drill instructors because <laughs> I feel like drill instructors, they, they recognize their authority and they're very comfortable with their authority. And I think like assistant coaches tend to be like them, the fighting to be taken seriously. So they're just nasty for no, yes. no. I'm, I'm I agree. I, I completely agree with that. But the, yeah. there was one other compare one other thing, a contrast I would make, mm-hmm. which is, Drill instructors, and I, well, I was never in the Marines, but I have friends who were. Mm-hmm. Drill instructors, it's funny because these people I know are in the Marines, would meet their drill instructor somewhere else because drill instructors don't stay drill instructors. They're not. Right. They, they go back into the regular rotation and become a sergeant somewhere else. Or, um, and they always were surprised that this guy was like an actual person. Yeah. It was, it was because this guy was so mean. And so yeah. did they, and then they'd see him and the guy would talk to him like a regular guy. And, and the first time they were shocked. Yeah. But, but assistant college football coaches never change. And, and I say that in the book. Yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of bully adolescents and they never have to get out of that life. Yeah. They get to stay in that for the rest of their life. Yeah. That's, that's the big difference to me. Polos so, and track pants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and they, they just get to live in that. And, and by the way, they make a lot of money now. Yeah. With, you know, if you're in a big program, mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be the head coach, maybe he made a half a million dollars a yeah. year. Now the head coach is making seven million dollars a year. Seven million dollars, yeah. <laughs> and and there are assistant coaches that are making a million dollars a year, wow. and they coach the defensive ends. Yeah, that's yeah. The, the guy coaches the defensive ends, and he makes a yeah. million dollars a year. And basically, it's put your right hand down, and when the ball's hiked, you run after this guy. That's yeah. you know that's and, and then you have to be really mean to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah, good. it's it's it's. So society isn't always fair. That's and that's one of the uh, underlying themes of my all my books. Mm-hmm. That is that is an absolutely true statement. Society. Well, I mean, life isn't always fair. Oh man. All right. I think I think at this point I have a, a really good baseline for a story to write for you. Um, I think I'm pretty feeling pretty good. Um, likely will come it'll likely happen uh like right after your um the the episode right so the decision came after that as a result of that so i'll start after that and then kind of put you in the same position like okay this is i'm realizing this is what life is you know and then do i retire or maybe that won't even come up it'll just be like life for you pushing through trying to hit that 75 you know because that was a goal of yours for so long i want to i think i might want to focus on that of just you trudging through gotta hit 75 gotta hit 75 yeah yeah it's sort of i sort of lost goal i sort of really didn't have a goal Mm -hmm. 
it was just, hey, this is okay. And when the point of homeostasis here, mm -hmm. it's like, it's okay. It's not hard. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just trudging along. And, and all of a sudden, I went to another life where I do have goals. Mm. And that was a big, that was the big change for me. I have goals now where I was just sort of eh, marking time. Huh. That's good to know. Just marking time. All right. So at this point of the show, we're going to take a quick break. We'll listen to a little bit of music. And when we come back, I will read the story that I will have written for Jim. It'll be called Other Jim. And then we'll talk about it. Please stick around. back i hope you enjoyed that little musical break i'd like to reiterate today's guest jim flynn if you want to look up uh his books or check out his website it is jim flynn six.com jim flynn jim flynn six.com uh you can also find his facebook like page as um jim flynn six as well facebook.com slash jim flynn six his latest book the bitcoin gambit released about a month ago 
on Audible. You can check it out there. His other two books are also on Audible. You can pick them up in paperback as well. Uh, the Bitcoin Gambit. Tell us a little bit about the Bitcoin Gambit, if you don't mind. Uh, the Bitcoin Gambit is, starts. It's the second in a series. Uh, the this this risk averse money manager gets is bored and and gets lured into investing in Bitcoin and thinks, what's the worst that could happen if if he just sticks his toe into Bitcoin and it immerses him in a world of intrigue, murder, <laughs> cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. and cyber warfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's either going to get to be a billionaire or dead. <laughs> right on. That's the goal, right? Yep. Awesome. Excellent. Okay. So It's also funny. I my, I, You're not supposed to put humor in thrillers, but they're my books. So yeah. both of my thrillers have humor. The guy's a wise guy. Because I'm a wise guy, and yeah. that's how I tell a story. So. I, I find that there's humor everywhere, and so when when people are like, no, it, if it's like a horror story, that there can't be jokes in there. If it, if it's thriller, it's it can only be tense. It's like, nah, like life is too complicated for that. Put jokes literally everywhere, even in yeah, I, devastating situations, like. In in my own family, anytime we like we were at funerals, people are trying to laugh, right? They're tr- they're trying to have some measure of levity in this horrible situation. Actually, at a funeral, it's really easy to make people laugh because they they want to release, so. right? So, yeah, I'm, I'm very I'm very popular at funerals. Nice, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. JimFlynn6.com. Check it out. Jim, are you ready to hear the story of other Jim? Let her roll. Excellent, excellent. Here we go. This is the story. Other Jim stifles the buzzing of his alarm clock. He keeps it under his pillow so as not to bother his wife. She sleeps through his snoring, so she wouldn't wake up to his alarm anyway. But just in case, he keeps it hidden. He slides out from under the covers, reaches for the ceiling with a long stretch. The snap, crackle, and pop of his aged joints sings out in the silent room. He looks over his right shoulder slowly until his neck pops and then over his left, listening for the same. After the symphony of crunch has sung its song, he notices the room is not actually silent. He'd never noticed before, but his wife is snoring, and that has filled the room. A bellowing roar emits from his dainty beloved. He blinks several times in disbelief and snickers to himself and makes his way to the closet to throw on his poop-shoveling pants. There are dark brown denim, stiff and well-worn. He effortlessly slides them over his still tight legs. He whispers to himself, loosen up, would you? Today's a long day of swimming and I want to get to it all uh, before the market opens. I can't have you holding me back, now can I? After completing his outfit with an ever-shrinking t-shirt and oversized sweater, he heads to the door and slips on his work boots. He massages his thighs and his calves for a few moments before heading out of the house. The crisp air bites at other Jim's nose and ears. He blows warmth into his hands as he ambles over to his horse pen. Out of the corner of his eye, he sees a pair of glowing eyes. He glances over and Raccoon sits up and reaches out with a paw, squeaking at other Jim. He hears in his mind, beware, there's danger in the water. Am I going crazy? Other Jim asks aloud. He shakes it off and laughs nervously at the absurdity of it all. He heads into the pen and calls out to his horse, Hello, my love, how are you? I know it's a little chilly right now and it's still dark, but... Don't you worry, the sun is set to rise in half an hour or so, 
and it's going to be a nice warm day at the end of it all. He walks over and places two hands on his horse's face and tilts its head to one side and stares lovingly into its swallowing dark of his pitch black eye. My God, have your eyes always been this black? Yikes. No. What the hell? You talk too? No. It's not what you think, his horse assures. Am I going crazy? I don't remember any dementia in my family or anything like that. What's happening? His horse neighs loudly and stomps his foot twice. Shh, other Jim. I don't have much time, and neither do you. Just listen. Startled, other Jim questions. What does that mean? Be silent. Do not swim this day, nor any day in the next week. There's danger in the water. What the hell does that mean? And why did, why did you just say that? A raccoon outside said it too. The horse shakes its head and nods upward a few times. Neither the raccoon nor I actually said anything. You have a tumor. This is a hallucination. Stunned silent, Other Jim stares at his horse, who seems oblivious to the conversation Other Jim seems to be having with him. He kicks at the ground and sniffs at his feed bag hanging on the outside of his pen's door. Other Jim does not move, entranced in disbelief. Other Jim? Other Jim, are you out here? Calls his wife. Yeah, I'm in here. Go back to bed. What? No, it's 8.30. I'm usually up by this time and usually back and in your office, but I didn't hear you come back in. Are you okay? I don't know. The horse told me I have a brain tumor. Why would the horse tell me that if, if he was going to talk to me? Why that of all things? Um, honey, he wouldn't. Maybe, maybe you should get it checked out. I'll be in in a minute. Just head back in. Okay, but you're, you're scaring me. Please set up an appointment today, his wife pleads. I will, dear. I will. Other Jim snaps out of his trance and finishes his early morning duties. Sunlight pierces through the slats of the barn's walls and sparsely illuminates the pen. He shovels it clean, fills the feed bag, and brushes his horse's hair before heading back in and showering up and logging onto his firm's portal and reviewing potential moves for his clients. Some time later, Other Jim peels his eyes open, fighting against the profound sleepiness weighing him down. He looks out his bedroom window and slowly begins his stretching. He slides his hand through his hair and fingers the still tender scar on his scalp a staunch reminder of the life-saving efforts of his doctor and the successful removal of a growth on his brain. Adding simple math to his morning routine, he recites multiplication tables of five, sixes, tens, and twenties. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, he whispers as he clothes himself in the dark, continuing, twenty, forty, sixty, eighty, one hundred, again and again he goes over his numbers. On his way out of the house, he takes with him an earnings report and the early paper delivered to his scheduled home, freshly printed just after midnight. He walks to the horse's pen and greets his friend warmly. You saved my life, horse. I wish you would have kept talking to me. Could have done without all the broken bones. The horse stands silent, watching him make his way to the pen and begin shoveling it clean. After his chores are complete, he sits beneath a small lamp and reads aloud to the horse. Struggling to finish the first paragraph, he stands and points at the at his horse. You could have warned me about this. I mean, thanks for not letting me drown, but come on. I need this skill. How am I going to get to 75 if I can't read more than a paragraph at a time without losing focus or just getting bored? This is my life. He pauses and breathes loudly as he contemplates his next words. I'm grateful. I, I am. I've had this plan forever. Retire at 75. That's a decade from now. You're 20. I could be burying you and retiring in the same year. What a bookend that would be, huh? Anyway, I'm going to go to the Canaan Y and get some laps in before work. Will you say goodbye today? 
Brother Jim waits for two minutes, counting every second as it passes. His horse is silent. He nods, turns, and heads to his car before heading to swim his laps. A few days later. No, absolutely not. Look, I appreciate you wanting to keep me around as a figurehead, but I, I mean to work. Give me a few guys to go over things with. You know my work ethic. You know I get things done. I make good choices. I'm well-researched. I have a fountain of information constantly flowing in and out of me. If you must, and I, I hate that I'm saying this out loud, but review every decision I propose. Give the final okay. And before you say it, I know you're not a babysitter, okay? I'm not a baby, so you don't even, don't even give yourself permission to let those words fall from your mouth. The speakerphone is silent. The four men on the phone hold Other Jim's career in their hands. Other Jim, you know we respect you. You know we value your contribution to the team. You've had a long and su successful career. We want you to stick around. It could, it could be incredibly helpful to your accounts to have your name on the, on the correspondence. But we can't keep you on a leash, man. We need the team leads to be independent. What am I going to do then? Just sit at home with my thumb up my ass? Other Jim, what you do at home is your business. But we're not suggesting you do that. That would be unprofessional. Come on, man. Other Jim bites his tongue. Figuratively, figuratively at first, and then hard enough to draw blood. The metallic taste fills his mouth and frustration swells within him. Caught between being a mascot and a listless retiree, he resigns to the role of detached face. Fine, I hate this, but fine. I'll be the face of this team. I have an emotional need to finish what I started, and by God, I will. Besides, we got that contract because they liked me. Look, I... I, I want to still give input. I want to be part of this team as much as I can be. Perfect. You made the right call, Jim. You made the right call. A decade later, half-eaten cake sits on the table. Overlapping signs of congratulations and birthday wishes adorn the walls and archways throughout the house. A soft hum of banter fills the air. Other Jim is absent from his celebration. He sits on the floor of his horse's pen and holds his horse's head on his lap. Petting him gently, he whispers, I love you, on repeat. The horse's belabored breathing slows. Other Jim, with tears in his eyes, listens carefully as his horse lets out a death rattle. Other Jim hears goodbye amidst the gargle and smiles, uttering in response, finally. The end. Wow. I imagine people with horses have very intimate relationships with them. So, Yeah, well, actually, my horse, uh, my... My horse was a girl. Oh, <laughs> was it? Damn. But she did communicate with me, and she did die, too. Oh. But un unfortunately, horses are like dogs. You have to put them down. That, oh, that, really? that's, yeah, they they rarely die on their own. Hmm. Uh, but other than that, I it, it was uncanny. You, it's like you knew stuff about me. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was very accurate in places, and oh, I do damn. have the. I do have the Carhartt, <clears throat> excuse me, I have Carhartt overalls to, uh, to go out to do the horses. But, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. And I'm, and I'm glad that I didn't take that road. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I did what I did. Good. So. Good. Yeah. I just, I imagine it would have been really frustrating, really like trying to give input. Right. Cause I think, I feel like at that point, if 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 it, if you get distracted while reading and you can't if you're not snappy on the math that you had been up until that point, then I think instinctively people would have just 
taking your advice and then put it on a shelf, right? Like after exactly. a while, like, exactly hey, right. Yeah. Oh, what exactly. do you got? What do, what do we get? What do you got, Jim? Great. Thanks, yeah. bud. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Are you a Simpsons fan? Yeah. Remember when uh, Homer had an idea for the script in Itchy and Scratchy, and they said, "Oh, that's great. Their input's great. Just leave it on the floor there and, and get up." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's you're, that's exactly what it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So, ah, shoot. Shoot, that's it, that must be tough. The idea of putting down your horse, like so, is it? It's ter- It's terrible. And it's and it's not just like she didn't get injured. It was just the it's, it's too old. Couldn't too stand. Old. Couldn't use her legs anymore. Gotcha. And, and a, a horse that can't stand up is a dead horse. So, right. Right. Um. And, and I've you know I've had dogs and, and put them, but a horse is a horse is different. Just, it's a different spirit. It, yeah, it, right. And and they're so big. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's sad losing a dog. I've had dogs I love, but horse is different. And you have a different relationship with a horse because you ride a horse, right? And your life is essentially in their hands. Yeah. And and I trusted my my horse was a great horse to ride, even though I'm a lousy rider. Yeah. Um, but um, so so you have a much more um, you're much more connected to a horse than a dog. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a terrible day for anybody who has put on a horse. It, it's it's a terrible day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh man, it must be tough. So did your did your horse nip at you? Um, my like horse when, when you're riding, like when they reach back and they're like trying to nibble on you. No, uh, no. Some horses are biters. Uh, um, Molly was not a biter. No. Okay. It's it, they're like people. They have different personalities. Right. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I think I think we talked a little bit about um, that horse at medieval times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that that King would do is like he liked to like tap me on the shoulder from behind, like come oh, yeah. in and then like tap my my chest essentially, like wrap his head over my shoulder and just tap 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 with his chin. I always thought that was funny. Just because yeah, I'm well, like, oh, we I'm have a uh, face. We have. We have two horses on the property now. Mm-hmm. One is our horse, and the other one is a loner. Okay. Because horses don't like to be by themselves. Right. So we have somebody else's horse that mm. we have a we have a deal with them. They provide the food, and we take care of the horse. And, okay. And and our horse gets a companion out of it. Right. But that horse is that horse is just like you said. He'll come over and put his head on your shoulder and sort of tap you on the chest. Yeah. And it, it, it's it can't you can't not smile when a yeah. horse does that. Ah, no. that's great. Yeah, I, I like horses. I think are such beautiful creatures. Uh, but one thing that's always freaked me out, and I, I put it in the story just because it's always like spooked me, like how black their eyes are. Yeah, and I'm just like, what is happening there? What's going on, horse? Why? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I've had them for a long time, and it's not something that stands out to me. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we all notice different things. So then, what's what's one physical treat um, feature of a horse that you you have noticed? It's like, huh, that's interesting. Well, I think you have to look at a horse's ears. Mm. You can tell a horses mood by their ears. And and when I first got horses, I didn't. When their ears are pinned back, mm-hmm. you don't really want to be walking behind them. For right. Example. Yeah. Right. Have you ever have you ever been kicked? Yeah. Oh. Oh, no. Yeah, we had a horse, initially a horse that was my daughter's horse, who was a show horse, and he was a great 
a dressage horse, mm-hmm. but he was pretty high strung. And he kicked me once, and fortunately, it was a glancing ball on my thigh because if it would have caught me square, it would have broken my leg. Oh. But um, even I... so, it was just, I mean, it hurt so much I wanted to puke. Oh, no. Yeah, a horse can kick pretty pretty hard. Yeah. Oh, man. So are you, <clears throat> do you um, outsource the reshoeing? Yes. Okay. Well, our horses are old enough now that we don't ride them anymore. Okay. So when you don't ride a horse, you don't have to shoe them, but you do have to clip their toenails. Right, right. And and we've always had a farrier do that. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that process has always been very fascinating to me. Just like the the peeling away, like layer by layer. I'm like, I always get freaked out watching it just because I'm like, how do you know how far to go? But they're just like comfortable just zipping through like that, but up and up, chisel this, chisel that, peel this, yeah. peel that, you know. So. I remember the first time I watched, I was afraid the horse would get hurt. Right. But, yeah. But those guys, this guy, and it's just, we've had the same guy for 20 years. Okay. And, and he was experienced when we got him. They, they know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and the horses like the results. Right. So the horses are usually well behaved, but talk about a hazardous occupation. Our, our horses are good horses. They don't kick, right. but you can get an ornery horse. You can be, you have to be in the kicking zone there for quite a while to yeah. do your back feet. Yeah. yeah. Goodness gracious. Just but like, there's something like about a, it's right in ahead. your face too. Oh yeah. 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 It's, uh, you learn, uh, but there's something about the, um, spirit of a horse. Mm-hmm. That is, and as I said, I love dogs. We have cats. Uh, spirit of a horse is different. Uh, maybe it's their size, mm-hmm. and that most of the time they're really gentle. But mm-hmm. you just feel this power coming out of them. You just go over and pet them. You can feel the power of a horse. Yeah, yeah it's like I mean, because I mean, you yeah. see horse. They look big. You know they're big, but you don't really know how big they are until they well, you know how- themselves. Well, when they step on your foot is a good, oh. that's a, that's when you really <laughs> get a sense that's, that's, and that's happened to me a few times. Fortunately, I didn't break my foot. My, uh, my wife's had a broken foot. Having oh, no. a horse step on it. Yeah. That's when you really know how heavy they are. Oof. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I've never had to experience yeah. that getting stepped on, but man, oh, that's great. One thing I've always loved about animals is their instinct tends to read our emotional state better than we can i mean we use words so i think we've gotten lazy as a species sensing each other's emotional state so animals like for example uh i have a cat and anytime either my wife or i are feeling a measure of tension or are uh, like getting high strung or like dealing with any anxiety the cat is like "Uh uh-oh What's going on? And then starts darting back and forth, jumping up and down on the couch, you know, clawing at the carpets and stuff and like not interacting with the cat at all. Just on the other side of the house, it can just feel, you know, and then responds to it. So I'm, I'm always really, really impressed with animals like seventh sense, I guess. <laughs> well, also animals have the advantage that they usually care about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where people usually don't care that's fair <laughs> yeah people are usually oblivious to how you feel yeah. so yeah oh that's fair 
That's funny. So tell me what 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 other part of the story were you able to like really connect with? Uh, the creaky joints. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think I told you I had both my knees replaced, but no, I've had 10 knee surgeries. The last, oh, wow. the last two being getting my knees replaced. <clears throat> so I could definitely relate to that. Mm. Oh, man. Wow. And is that, is that just a product of being so big? Like you're, you said you're over six, five. Did I remember? No, no, that's my, that's my son, but no, I'm not, no, it's just a product of having bad knees. And when I, when I um, was going to go out for the high school football team, the doctor did an exam and told me I shouldn't play. Hmm. He said, your joints, he said, you're going to hurt your knees. And I thought, you know, I'm not, I'm not ever going to get hurt. Yeah. You know, you're, when you're a kid, you're indestructible. And guess what? He was right. And, and, you know, I blew out my knee when I was 15 years old, kept playing and, um, and, you know, just kept doing things, kept playing basketball, tennis, skiing and, and, you know, wrecked my knees. Mm. It was just predetermined from my, just the way my knees are built that sure. if I did those kind of sports, I was going to wreck them. So, gotcha. so, uh, so it happened and I, I managed to be still active my whole life. So, okay. Right on. 10 years ago when I was 60, I was still mm-hmm. doing half Ironman triathlons with Oof. two knees that had to be replaced. Wow. So how stupid is that? <laughs> I mean, I could do the swim and I could do the bike. Sure. Okay. But then I would run, um, what is it? 10 K. Oh man. Um, no, it's more than 10 K and a half. It's 12 miles. I, a, oh, half Ironman. Yeah. Fireman. So you're running half of, a Oh marathon yeah. It's, after, like 13.1. Yeah. After, yeah. after having done the swim and the 56 mile bike right. and, and it was just torture. It was just, it was just. And I just, and it's the last, I just it's the made last myself, leg too, right? Well, it, it's the last leg on purpose. Yeah. You know, is a friend of mine who didn't know any better said, well, why don't they have to swim last? The, the reason is because people would drown. Right. Yeah. yeah that's why sure. they, they do it in order of what's the easiest to stop. And the easiest to stop is running. Right. You can't stop swimming in the middle of a lake. Right. And just tread. It's like, I'm going to take a break here and just tread. For a <laughs> well, now that people would get cramps and, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, I'm so all my... superheated. Now I'm going to jump in the lake. And they actually tried that at the beginning of triathlon. They said, well, that'd be good. People will see. And people were just cramping up. <laughs> oh, you know, uh. see, their bodies were seizing up and they had to. They said, oh, maybe we should reverse the order of this. thing." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. And it's like it's like the start of the. uh it, it's really violent. A lot of people kicking each other and swimming on oh, top well, of each other. It's like if <laughs> if you want to know that, and I think I sent you the code for my first book. Yeah. Uh, the um, be sincere, even if you don't mean it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the character does the Hawaii Iron Man, and mm. he talks about what the beginning of the race is like. And and I have friends who read the book, who did the triathlon, and they say. That's exactly what it's like. And I describe it as being in a tub of live bait. Yeah. That's what it's like. People are kicking you 
and they're mm-hmm. swimming right over you. And that's the women, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, know I mean, you put, you, it, it's, it's the first time I did it. And I had, I had, I was really in good swimming condition and, and was used to, you know, swimming every day a mile. And, and I got in a little mini triathlon. I think the swim was quarter of a mile. So mm. I could do that. Okay. Dog paddling if I had to. And mm. I got in the beginning and I started freaking out because people were kicking me and, yeah. and, uh, and I had to just make myself calm. I was hyperventilating. I had to just make myself calm down and you kind yeah. of find open water and, and after a while you get used to it, but some people freak out and have to be pulled out of there with the guy, the guy on the surfboard has to come get them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's uh, quite a mix master. Yeah. And, so and in, in my first book, it mentions uh, there's a, there's some open water swims in Hawaii, which I always wanted to do and, and never ended up doing them, but mm-hmm. they're, they're not triathlons. They're just open water swim races. I right. thought that would be really cool except for the sharks, but um, yeah. the, they have posted on their website. One of them says, no kicking, punching, or pulling on other swimmers. Here's here's okay. the punchline, and, and this is true. This is really on their website. So no kicking, biting, punching. It says this is not a triathlon. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I thought, boy, that says it all because people, yeah. you can take a, you know nice jovial person and you put them in that environment and it's like doggy dog survival yeah. of the fittest but and the yeah. good news about a triathlon is the uh kind of darwinian r- wins out the faster swimmers go to the front slower swimmers drop back so after the first hundred yards or so mm. it it evens out and you can find some clean water to swim in but when you get in an elite race where everybody's yeah. a good swimmer, that doesn't happen. Yeah. And everybody I, is everybody's constantly. good. Everybody's at least good. Yeah. So you don't get the thinning out. Um, and they say in Hawaii, it's like that because you have to qualify for Hawaii. There are, yeah. some, there are some um, people who get in because of corporate donations or something, sure. but most of the people there, 90% of the people qualified. So you have to, they have to be at least a good swimmer. Yeah. So in Hawaii, the, the 2.4 miles, you can be stuck in that kind of thing for two miles. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. My, so my wife, <clears throat> excuse me, my wife, like I mentioned, she's a, an open water swimmer. And so we spent quite some time, I want to say two summers ago, looking at all of the options, all of the open water races like around the world. Yeah. And like she was really enthralled with the the Hawaii swim. And then there's a swim around Manhattan. Yes. That is like another one that you have to qualify for. And she said, this is just brutal because it's like a, it's a full marathon of swimming. Yeah. I've had friends right? who, who've done that. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's pretty nuts. So the thought of these, the swath of elite swimmers just beating each other up for the whole swim. I'm just like, why? Why? I, because like in my head, it's like, oh, don't they just take your time? Just stagger. Well, right? but yeah, it's part of the competition is, you know, like pushing the other people back. 
Well, it's funny. It could be, I, I used to be on a, a triathlon team and it was, mm-hmm. a, you know, it was just a loosely organized thing, but we used to pay a coach every Sunday. We'd go to a pool and we'd mm-hmm. have a coach. And, and it's funny because this guy was a guy who qualified for the Olympics in 1980. Mm. So you have to be a pretty good swimmer to be in that. Except if yeah. you remember what happened in 1980, we boycotted the Olympics. Yeah. It was so it was going to be in Moscow, and they were invading Afghanistan. So we boycotted. So this guy worked his whole life, and so I mean, he was fifty years old maybe when he was coaching us. Mm. He could still swim a lap in about four strokes. Wow. He was just so elite compared to me. Right. Um, but you, the hierarchy of swimming is incredible but my point was going to be so he'd say okay he'd put us through a specific workout and he'd say all right mm-hmm. for this these you know 10 laps everybody swim at 50 percent their speed and everybody would always swim at 95 percent because they didn't want <laughs> you know it, they wouldn't right. quite go 100 right. but it was like telling these people who are competing you know you'd start off at 50 percent you'd see a guy going on for you say well i'm not gonna let that I'm, you know so yeah. every everybody speed up speed up you know so at the end you're doing these sprints and you know right. last 25 yards is like an all-out sprint so so when you get people in competition and, and that makes it fun uh, yeah. when you finish even some sprint triathlon i used to do one every week in the summer mm-hmm. and i would i would have a goal i try to do it under an hour or something like that when you finish, you feel like you won the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, it, it is such an exhilarating feeling. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking about finishing a hundredth out of two hundred. Yeah, or or hundred ninetieth out of two hundred. You really feel you really have a feeling of satisfaction doing that. I, yeah. I miss I miss it. I can't do it anymore. I'm not gonna. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I've done um, I did a, a only a, like a five mile race. Um, and it, like, I remember the feeling of that. And then when my wife was doing, <laughs> when my wife did her uh, marathon, I was like running to meet her. Right. And I was like, I almost did a half marathon just chasing you around <laughs> so that I could film you running past me, you know, sort of thing, which I thought was funny. But the, the feeling of crossing that line, you know, it's a like, great, did it's, it. a, it's a great feeling. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. There's like this surge of energy because I remember at that five mile, I've never been a runner. I don't like long distance. I've always been a sprinter. I want it over and done with. If I'm running, I'm either running to a base, to an end zone, to a hoop, you know, or somebody's chasing me. Yeah. That's the only time I want to run. And so doing this this long, like this five mile race, I was like, I, I like in my head the whole time, I was like, this is so stupid. I hate it. And I was like jogging. But when as soon as I saw the finish line, this surge of energy came out of nowhere. And I just sprinted just whew, full throttle until I crossed that line. And there's just something magical about that. So. Well, the other thing that will get you sprinting at the end of one of those races is when somebody passes you and, and, uh. and they give you the look back. Like, like yeah. you know, you, you turd, I just, yeah. then you say, oh, this can't stand, I, you know, and then you start picking it up and, yeah. and, and you and this other jerk, you know, sprint <laughs> for the last half of my, <laughs> right. Just yeah. going yeah. It, but that out. makes it, that makes it fun, especially if you <laughs> beat the other jerk. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that feels good. Yep. The way that I was coping was every every person I passed, I was like, I believe in you. You're doing great. And everyone that passed me is like, hey, wait, no, come back. Come back. You know, <laughs> Just in, trying to interact with everybody. Yep. Like hearing giggles as I went was always felt good. But, but it, you know what? I, the people, and I still I still talk to some of the guys I used to do triathlon with, they get hooked on it. And, and there are guys who have terrible knee problems and have, mm. get you know, goat cells injected into there and all these crazy oh things goodness. just so they can keep doing it. So it's, wow. um, it, it's, I, and I understand the addictive nature of it. Mm-hmm. Man, I can't wait until technology is able to like make up for our, our human failings. So like, for example, if, in like 30 years, if you were in the position you were, if there was a mechanical replacement for your knee that functioned well enough that you could continue doing these without much discomfort, like I wonder how many people are going to be running half cyborg in like 30 years. Yeah, or maybe 90% cyborgs. Right, yeah. Which which that I've thought, when I get done with the book I'm doing, I've, I've thought of this, these three as a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And... You know how in a novel you're supposed to have the hero's journey and at the end right. he's a changed person or he or she right, right. and they've grown up or seen the light or something's done to change them. Mm-hmm. I've decided my trilogy was going to change. He's not going to change in every book. Mm-hmm. He starts off as this kind of shallow guy and at the end he he, he changes. But when I'm done mm-hmm. with that, I've always wanted to do some science fiction stuff. So I'm I'm thinking about that and the cyborg nature of and where are we gonna end up going and are we end mm-hmm. is the world gonna just end up being all robots? Right. Yeah. Um, may, maybe. Mm-hmm. That that might be my next project after this book. That's exciting. That's exciting. I mean, just think fun- just think about think about how much the world has changed since the introduction of the iPhone, which I think was in 2008 or nine. Mm-hmm. How much has your life changed? Oh yeah. And how much has my life changed? And 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 I'm 70. I'm an old guy. Mm-hmm. How much has people are 20? How much does their life depend around their iPhone? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole generation of people that don't know life without instant access. Yeah. Which blows my mind. You know, and like being 40. I got to be around for the birth of the internet and, you know, its development. I mean, I I was young when it happened. I was super young, but still, like, not being able to access things instantly. And now at this age, you know, I could play cell phone, like, games with people from another part of the world. And I have access to all the information I could ever want, you know, in a moment. Well, yeah, I was on a – I was on a – zoom call with people in france last week what mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it you know a hundred years ago can you imagine or 110 20 years ago could you imagine yeah uh, but i remember i was around in in the investment business when the internet came out and mm. merrill lynch came out and said it's just a fad it's gonna go away <laughs> it's a joke don't bother with this thing they kind of changed their tune after a while <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but when the PC first came out, there were people who said, well, no, why would somebody get a personal computer for their house? Right. You know, what, what would they do with it? 
And then yeah. all of a sudden the AOL, were you, are you old enough to remember dial-ups? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, remember, yeah. remember that thing? Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden AOL came along and the world changed. And then yep. the cell, then the iPhone came along and all of a sudden you had that power in your palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, why not just implant it in somebody's brain? Right. That's, I mean, that's the next logical step. Yeah, it, it, and then go down the cyborg route. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be sort of my theme going on. Nice. Nice. I love it. Oh, the future is is exciting and terrifying. It's also very hard to anticipate. Bill Gates wrote a book in the late 90s called, I think, The Path Ahead or The Road Ahead or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not making fun of Bill Gates and his personal stuff going on now I don't care about, but mm-hmm. he's obviously a very smart guy. <laughs> Yeah. And and he was smart enough to make billions of dollars changing mm-hmm. the world. And if you read his book about what he predicted is going to happen, he was basically wrong about everything. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's again, that's not to make fun of Bill Gates. It's it's really hard to predict how these changes and and what people do to to, you know, um, cryptocurrency. Who would have mm-hmm. picked who would have guessed 10 years ago we'd have cryptocurrency oh yeah i don't know i don't know if we mentioned this last uh when we spoke last but there's um i was looking at the prizes of video game tournaments in the mid 2000s right first prize was like uh a thousand dollars second prize 500 bucks it went down down yeah the seventh and eighth place each got 100 bitcoins <laughs> Back when they were worth like 20 cents yep. each or whatever. I don't know what it was, but I was just looking at like my mind is blown. These people, if they if they earn that prize and hung on to it are like like it's 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 bonkers how much money they have right now. Wow. Uh, like well, they had more. They bitcoins. had more a couple of weeks ago. But um, yeah, I mean, thank you, Elon Musk, for being. Well, wait a, to you have to read that book. It has a surprising ending. So, oh, OK. Yeah, it's 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 one thing that I I feel like is true across the board when it comes to technology. Every new wave of technology is resisted as who needs this? This is silly. Don't. Every every new wave, like you were mentioning the the advent of the personal computer, this is stupid. Nobody wants this. The internet, we don't need that. Who needs that? That's this is dumb. Stop. When they were uh, switching music from like disc to MP3 players, right? It was super resisted. Like, no, nobody's gonna wanna have this. You know, who needs this in their pocket? Who needs this? Who needs this? And every wave of change is resisted. And I think that's the the only consistent thing. Like how yeah. we utilize the technology, I feel like is always up in the air. Well, but, people. It morphs. It morphs, and it's not the companies that make it that drive it. It's mm-hmm. the users that drive it. Right. When the telephone was invented, I forget who passed on in on investing in it, but said, "What would people say? Why would they, you know, want to do that?" Right. And when the copying machine was invented by Xerox, mm-hmm. the inventor of the copier took it to IBM. And they said, mm-hmm. well, we have carbon paper. What would people want to make copies for? 
Yeah. So it, yeah. it's it's it probably uh, when they invented papyrus, they probably said, "Well, we have stone tablets. What do we need yeah. paper for?" You know? Who's gonna yeah. read? Come on. <laughs> so, but people people mutating or morphing the technology that's yeah. that's a theme i want to get into too and they don't always do it for good mm-hmm. you know the, for example the hackers oh of course um yeah. that's that's that wasn't really anticipated by aol when they started all this yeah 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 i remember the the early 90s hackers movies those are so so much fun because it's like, oh, look at these super deviant. Look at all the yeah. things they're doing. It's like, man, no, they're just kids exploring. That's literally all they're doing. The kids that well, are that, exploring. That, that's something else I do cover in the Bitcoin Gambit that um, mm. that cyber warfare is really scary, and mm. and the capabilities of all the sides to just bring down. I mean, the people who brought down the pipeline were not a nation state. They were just some guys who. But yeah. the nation states, Russia and China and North Korea and, and us, mm-hmm. we have the ability to just take down the whole infrastructure of a country if we want to. Right. And and the, what stops us from doing it is they'll do it to us. Right. You know, it's just um, the, the evolution of the Cold War. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, but it's like, I blow you up. No, I'll blow you up. Yeah. All right. Let's see. But, but <laughs> and I, I did research into this and, and a fellow who worked who I went to high school with who ended up at colonel at cyber command. Hmm. I, so I made that comparison. I said, it's like cold war, you know, mutually assured destruction. If you launch mm-hmm. your missiles, I'll launch my missiles. So I right. said, but the difference in, in cyber war is you don't always know where the attacks are coming from. Right. Because they bounce the attack off a thousand servers. Mm-hmm. And, and there are people, there are some countries that are really good at making it look like somebody else did it. Mm. So, that's that's uh and that's a theme I'm writing about in my new book too. Fun. Fun. Right on. I like to end on a scary note. So. <laughs> oh, it it is scary. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's scary. So. And, and I don't know how it's going to end, but I know how my book's going to end. So. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Oh man. All right, so with that, we'll bring all of this together. Horses, the internet, Bitcoin. I love it. Today's guest, Jim Flynn. Find him at jimflynn6.com or facebook.com slash jimflynn6. Read his books or listen to them. His narrator, uh, Gary Williams, is pretty fantastic. Um, So you can listen to it and it'll be just as as entertaining and thrilling and fun uh, of an experience. Thank you so much, Jim, for being a part of the show. Appreciate having you on. Great. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, your yeah. story was remarkably accurate for knowing me for about five minutes. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Excellent. So for Jim, I'm D. Follow the podcast on Twitter at other you podcast on Instagram at other you underscore podcast. But for now, we out. Come back next week for another episode. Bye.